Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk with Lee Piet and I am delighted to be joined by a comedy pal of mine, Rosie Wilby. Rosie is an award-winning comedian, fellow podcaster, speaker and journalist and was dubbed the Queen of Breakups by BBC Radio 4. She's written a book on the very nature of breakups and relationships aptly named The Breakup Monologues, The Unexpected Joy of Heartbreak. I loved this interview with Rosie. In the book, she talks candidly of her own experience in breakups and guides us through the science and psychology behind them. In this interview, we talk ghosting, breadcrumbing, and what exactly is icing, as well as whether we should stay in touch with an ex and how breaking up is scientifically similar to withdrawing from drugs. So enjoy this gorgeous interview with the equally gorgeous Rosie Wilby. I am delighted to be joined by a lovely comedian friend of mine, Rosie Wilby. Rosie, welcome. Oh, hello, Lee. It's lovely to speak to you because you know what? I listened to a little bit of your conversation with Tom Allen earlier on Mm. and you were chatting about how you did one of your early gigs with him in Bury at a gay comedy night years ago. And who was there, Rosie? Who was also there with us? I was the opening act. Tom was headlining, you were comparing, and we had a lovely time. I I was going to say the same because I was thinking earlier, I thought... When did I meet Rosie? And I was like, of course, I met Rosie in Bury. And yeah, it was the, I think it was called Not the Only Gays in the Village, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. Is it maybe, is it like 10 years ago almost or something it, it, it ages ago? It probably is something about 10 years ago, which to me blows my mind because I, I, I don't want to accept that I've been doing comedy that long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it must be around about, yeah, tw- maybe 2012, 2013, actually. So it's approaching the oh, 10 okay. year anniversary. We should do, so, we should do a reunion. Reunion, yeah. Yeah, but I thought it was kind of nice that you had spoken to Tom as well. It kind of completes the, the triangle of of that little gig and meeting meeting there. Well, of course, we, we met um, since then because uh, you uh, kindly invited me to come on to your podcast, um, The Breakup Monologues, and uh, that was last January. So January 2020. Yeah, it was, it was before all the, the pandemic and lockdown and everything. It was, yeah. yeah. So we are recording this virtually, which I'm sure is no surprise to many people. How are you finding, I mean, we're not going to talk loads about the pandemic and everything because frankly, it's boring, but how are you <laughs> finding um, it basically? Or how have you found it? How are you finding virtual life? <laughs> um, well, strangely busy, actually. It's it's weird because for so many people, it was, you know, and I really felt for them, for so many comedian friends, it was this real sudden diary emptying event um, where everything was cancelled. But I suppose um, I was in a sense fortunate with the timing of it because I was just about to start writing my book. So I had started kind of thinning my diary of live gigs out a tiny bit Right. anyway. And um, so, you know, I, I was kind of settling down to, to write a book and, and get get going on that. Um, so, so, yeah, it kind of gave me a bit of headspace and time to focus on that properly. And then I've just been doing loads and loads of podcasts like this. And 
you know, you can do them virtually. Um, it's perhaps not quite the same as being mm. in the same room as somebody, which is always lovely. And I have particularly enjoyed recording the breakup monologues live in front of an audience. And I'm just starting to get back into doing that now, which is really, really nice. But there is so much you can do virtually. I think live comedy itself is is very strange yeah. <laughs> online. Um, I don't think there's any real replacement for being in a room, making people laugh and having that connection and the audience all responding to, I don't know, something funny that happens in the room. Um, and those kind of real spontaneous moments of magic are hard to conjure up. Well, as well, as well, I guess, comedy, the main thing is about timing. And I did one (laughs) Zoom gig. And honestly, I just couldn't do any more. I thought I'm not doing it. Because all the audience had to have their mics muted. (laughs) So so you'd say this joke, and then you'd you'd look around the panel of Zoom people. (laughs) Are they laughing? Are they smiling? Give me something. And it was just awful. Um, So you are right. But actually, and I say this kind of reluctantly, it is kind of a little bit easier doing a lot of like podcasts and stuff virtually because you don't have to leave the house. Yes, it's lovely <laughs> doing it, you know, in a room with people and you can do that connection. But, you know, I've got another podcast that I've been doing as well. And it's actually been a lot of the time easier to just <laughs> sit down on your Mac and have a nice little chat with someone. Uh, but I say that reluctantly because I almost don't want to admit it and I don't want it to carry mm. on like that you know yeah no I know we do want things to get back to normal because the comedy industry does need to start getting back on its feet and I know you know people who run lovely lovely inclusive small comedy nights that really do need to be able to get going again and sometimes when you run a small room that's almost more difficult because you don't have the space to socially distance people so Yeah. yeah I I think it's it's been difficult times but yeah for me personally it hasn't been the worst and it has still seemed to be quite busy I guess just because I've had a book out and I've been doing lots of lovely conversations to promote it which have been really really nice. Well, we're going to get on to the book, but um, I'm going to talk uh, about the podcast, first of all, because obviously that's, I mean, really the precursor to the book. So, so you've been doing, how long had you been doing the podcast? I did, I did it in January 2020. And was that your second series? I think it was. I think we might have been on the third series then. Oh, really? I mean, I've had, I've had little gaps, like, obviously, some podcasters do create a podcast every week of every year, and just carry on continuously I've had little seasons of about 10 or 12 episodes and began right at the beginning of 2017 which was the year that I had my first book out which was called Is Monogamy Dead and Mm. that was all part of this whole exploration that I've done over a number of years now into the psychology of relationships and the way we have relationships and how how it all works and what we learn about human behavior and in particular looking at all of it through quite a queer lens and what we learn from how queer people have had relationships and and some of the things that we've done when we perhaps haven't had access to structures like marriage and having kids. So I do think sometimes you learn some interesting things from looking at what lesbian couples and gay couples in years gone by have done to sort of come up with creative solutions for how to have their relationships. Um, so yeah that I've been 
you know, I've been looking at relationships in in this way, in a sort of sciency, comedy, psychology, broad way of investigating them with quite a personal kind of motivation of actually wanting to have better relationships myself I suppose and putting myself right in the center of this experiment and that's been that's been a number of years but the breakup monologues podcast itself um yeah began just right at the very end of 2017 and yeah I've now come to the end of my fourth season so there's I think there's about 50 episodes now online and I loved I loved actually doing the podcast. I was a bit nervous at first because we'd spoken about it and I had, it was my first breakup. I'd been through, I don't know if you remember, a very complicated situation. Yes. Um, but actually it was a bit like therapy for me in a way with, with a live audience. A bit like comedy is a lot of the time, but actually it was more, because there was no kind of pressure to be funny or whatever, you were just having a, com- a candid conversation about breakups and you... Um, well, BBC Radio 4 have called you the queen of breakups, and which I think is quite a funny title because it sometimes is ambiguous enough to be like, does she break up? Is she just really good at breaking up with people? Oh, no, she just knows a lot about breakups. But you were kind of there as that... Um, not figurehead but that kind of muse where it was like you kind of almost act a little bit like the therapist in that situation um (laughs) and uh, I don't know if that was the intention but I loved it like I went away thinking oh okay um I'm not so alone in this people have been through things before or if they haven't been through the same situation as me they they at least empathize and kind of understand and I think that's where the podcast obviously is great for that but where your book the breakup monologues which is obviously inspired by the podcast that's the one thing at the minute I'm finding with the book um because it's obviously like your own experiences um but the the science behind it all that you bring in and all the kind of facts I love as well and it does make you feel like yes I might not have I know this might come as a surprise to you, Rosie, but I don't have much experience of a lesbian relationship. Um, <laughs> but I get, I, I finish each chapter and I almost kind of think of, oh, okay, how does that not relate to me, but how is that similar or what, you know, what have my previous relationships, um, what can I take from that in, in terms of, of that? Is that kind of your intention or was that your intention for the book? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very much about helping people to learn and think and move forwards on their own journey. Like you say, the live podcast shows are deliberately a little bit like an almost very public therapy session where Mm. I am getting my two guests to feel comfortable in sharing and hopefully feeling better for sharing as well, because there are scientific studies that show that we do feel better about something if we share our story with with friends and feel that we've had it heard in some way and we begin to sort of adapt the narrative and feel that we've got a more positive ending from that story the more times we tell it because the more times we tell it the further away we are from the sort of painful part of it and perhaps we've progressed more to the other side of that. Um, And so, yeah, I think the book is very much... Um, looking at how people can almost see breakups as a positive experience in the end as and as sort of an opportunity. The subtitle of the book is The Unexpected Joy of Heartbreak. 
And so it's this idea that we do get this opportunity for self-reflection and growth and actually maybe beginning exciting new projects, new friendships, ultimately new relationships, perhaps having made more informed partner choices, having got to know ourselves better. But I've spoken to a number of people who have found that in their time spent single, they have really got things done and really felt empowered. Yeah, I um, when I uh, I put on my social media about um, interviewing you and about breakup monologues, and I and I asked people for any questions that they might have, and one of the questions I actually got asked this a few times is people asked whether or not you you think as <laughs> the queen of breakups um, <laughs> you should stay friends or stay in touch with an ex. Now, you talk about this a lot in the book, yeah. um, but let's, because I haven't kept in touch with mine um, due to the fact that there's probably still a lot of pain there. Mm. Um, but you have, you actively quite like to, don't you? Yeah, and I think it is quite a lesbian thing to do. Right. Um, because historically, queer female society was quite small and women met in sort of quite tight-knit groups and you really were probably going to still see your ex to be honest because they're probably going to end up going out with one of your other friends um so you had to sort of really um kind of try and move on in quite a big-hearted and quite an evolved way um and in order to sort of preserve friendship networks, which I think ultimately a lot of queer women over the decades have decided is more important than perhaps your own individual feelings of jealousy or hurt. But all that said, sometimes when a relationship has been toxic and the breakup is particularly difficult and challenging and perhaps people aren't being honest, then sometimes it's not possible. But I think where it is possible and also, you know, in the wider heterosexual community when couples have children together have extended families in common lots of friendships and friendship groups in common it's you know it can be a really healthy thing to to remain friends I mean it's the idea of conscious uncoupling isn't it of course which uh, Gwyneth Paltrow made famous a few years ago but I I believe that many people have been doing conscious uncoupling for years perhaps not mm. giving it a pretentious name <laughs> yeah no it's interesting because you you say that in the book about divorce and and you know the the etymology of the even the word divorce and um and like you say you know people kind of derided Gwyneth Paltrow for this what they thought was a hippie term of of conscious uncoupling but you actually say beneath it all is kind of a healthy way of uh, moving on I guess and also mm. getting rid of any toxicness in your life and um, you also talk which I love because I'm a bit the thing is I love obviously people's stories but I'm also a bit kind of sciencey a bit of a secret nerd I think oh. and so I do love the kind of science behind everything and one of the things you actually said this to me um when we did the podcast together and it is also in the book you talk about how um breaking up is similar to kind of the effects of withdrawing from a drug is that an actual scientific study 
Yes, and um, I there's an episode of my podcast where I talk to an evolutionary anthropologist, a woman called Dr. Anna Machin, who many people may have seen pop up as a talking head on various shows on TV, but she was also part of the expert panel on the programme Love at First Sight when oh. that was on in the UK, the first series of that. And she, yeah, it's her kind of job to investigate love and how it works. And she was telling me how it was somebody, a scientist that worked with drug addicts who was noticing the real parallels between a drug addict in withdrawal and somebody who has been heartbroken and who is, well, effectively in withdrawal from their ex, from the happy, incredible chemicals that that person triggered. And then that's suddenly taken away. And, you know, your your brain is thinking, hang on a minute, where's my hit of dopamine? And, you know, where's that lovely beta endorphin that was making me feel really high and connected and <laughs> and wonderful? Um, and oxytocin and all these chemicals that, that have really good, feel-good effects of, of bonding and being cared for and looked after in the world. And suddenly, suddenly all these levels are reduced and you're like, what is happening? No, and it, it, that really helped me in terms of kind of um, reconciling in my own head why I was potentially feeling this way and, you know, how much I struggled just not receiving texts or not having any communication. And, and, and that's what I think the book, for me, I don't know if this is your intention, but... Um, I think Abigail Tartelin, I want to say that name right, says this book will make you feel less alone. And that is exactly what I'm currently getting from it. Because, no, it is true. Because also, you obviously have your own stories in there, some of which are hilarious, by the way. The, the story <laughs> about you going um, to the, was it a university um study uh, uh, <laughs> I don't want to give it away because it's a hilarious story um you'll have to get the book to anyone yeah. who's listening um you're, yeah you're talking about the sex lab yes. the sex lab the sex yeah. lab <laughs> um and so they are you know your own stories and then there's science in there and then there's other people's stories as well how do you go about kind of presumably you have to contact them before and say hey I want to put your story in or do you say do you have a story for me? Or is it kind of uh, a, a follow-up from the from people who have done the podcast? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the people quoted in the book are people who've done the podcast and I shared stories that they had already publicly shared on the podcast and I um, contacted everyone who'd been on the podcast just to check if there was something they'd said on the podcast that they wouldn't want yeah. shared in print in the book. And yeah, I got loads of replies saying, yes, it's all fine, Um I can't even remember what I said in some cases. <laughs> no, it's true. Um, because yeah. you're in front of a live audience as well. I've, I've listened back a couple of times. I ought to probably listen now that a lot of time has passed from it and yeah. kind of think, oh, I wonder if I think the same. But yeah, a lot of what I said, yeah. I, I can't remember. Yeah, you could see if you've moved on. But yeah, also there were people who since I'd you know finished recording the last season of the podcast who had said to me well I've got a breakup story so you know we were just emailing one another and people sent me some stories um 
yeah, I was sometimes posting on, you know, various comedy forums on Facebook and so on to, you know, that, that various comedy friends of mine would see and us would be like, oh, I'm really looking for a story about, you know, has anyone had a breakup hmm. on holiday or has anyone, you know, been dumped after a very, very short time but still felt really devastated like it was a really long or significant relationship um, and sort of just little particular themes or ideas that I was exploring and then you know those would perhaps trigger people's minds and they'd say oh I have had an experience like that yeah and and I think that is why the the mixture of obviously your honesty in it the mixture of the science and the mixture of other people's stories of whom you know most of whom I don't know does make you feel less alone in the sense that you're like oh okay other, I know it sounds stupid, but it's that other people have been through this as well, or other people have felt that way, and and that's what I am genuinely uh, loving. It's kind of like a mini guide slash memoir. It's like a self help book almost through your own and other people's experiences. Um, mm. One thing I also loved, which I think will strike a chord with a lot of people in the modern day of dating, <laughs> um, was you talk about the lexicon of breakups the words some of which I have to say Rosie I'm disappointed in myself that I hadn't heard of um (laughs) I think the most popular one is obviously ghosting which presumably a lot of people know we've got things like breadcrumbing what's breadcrumbing well, breadcrumbing, I mean, a lot of these words are variations on the theme of ghosting. They are all about somebody kind of disappearing or not really being that into somebody. Um, but breadcrumbing is kind of where you lead somebody on with little breadcrumbs and or, you know, like sort of hot and cold flirty texts. But then you're not really that interested in pursuing oh. it. Um, it. It is just a... <laughs> Yeah, just a trail of, of little crumbs rather than anything significant. Um, but it it's interesting, while I'm talking to a chap of a certain persuasion, shall I say, I have heard since I wrote that list that one of the words actually has a ruder meaning. Um, and there's one of the words um, that I talk about, which is icing. And in, in my Uh, book I talk about it meaning sort of literally putting somebody on ice a bit like there's another term benching like putting them on a bench um, and putting them to one side but I I have heard that perhaps there's another meaning as well (laughs) we don't need to go into the detail of it but uh, am I right in thinking there may be another meaning um well uh, (laughs) if there is I am probably the worst person because I have (laughs) no idea in fact in fact I'm slightly embarrassed because when I read icing I thought of icing on the cake rather than putting someone on ice (laughs) which is probably the gayest thing to think about but I thought oh you're waiting for the icing on the cake you're putting someone on hold yeah um what if it's a dirty meaning it's probably down to the gays at the end of the day like if there is a dirtier meaning I'm just terrible that I have zero idea but if anyone is intrigued I implore you to go and maybe maybe google it or maybe don't (laughs) if it's um (laughs) If it's like that, but then you've got things like pocketing, also known as stashing, cushioning, there's loads. Um, And that's what I love, because like I said, it's almost like a guide to dating and breakups, because I know it's called the breakup monologues, but it's also kind of about dating, isn't it, as well? Oh, yeah, it's very much about breaking up and staying together and how 
I see those two things as really quite entwined and, you know, only really a sort of moment of madness or clarity apart because <laughs> um, mm. we often stay in relationships that we're meaning to leave, but we can't quite get ourselves together to leave and we sort of feel kind of cosy and, you know, maybe don't want to leave even though we know it's perhaps not 100% working or quite right. Um, so I did want to talk honestly um in a lot of the memoir chapters about staying in a relationship and how to incorporate what I've learned to be better equipped to commit to a partnership. And actually, a lot of that is about accepting the sort of compromises and accepting that it's wonderful being in love and being with somebody, but it's also sometimes quite annoying, yeah. <laughs> you know, just sharing your day-to-day -day domestic life together. Um, I mean, even this morning, because we've got um, a dog and two cats and our younger cat who we, we got this kitten since I wrote the book, actually, because there's just one dog and one cat in the book who do play an important role because I think pets are really important in our sort of bonding and, and the kind of happiness of, of keeping, well, what we would call our family together. We don't have human babies, but we have our animals who are like our children. Um, but we have now this other little kitten who's a bit disabled and he's got this condition called wobbly cat syndrome oh. and it does mean that he sometimes has a little accident shall we right. say which okay. is not ideal early on a Sunday morning no absolutely not so is it is it a struggle between you and I'm calling her girlfriend because in the book you call her girlfriend and I love that mm. it's girlfriend <laughs> with a capital g um is it is it those kind of struggles where you think oh God. And I think you're allowed to admit that. I like the fact that you say in the book you're allowed to admit that relationships aren't this running through the meadows, everything's fine and dandy, so much love and blah, 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 blah. There are the kind of annoyances that come with even sleeping in the same bed, I know you talk about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think there are so many couples I know who do sleep in separate beds a lot of the time. And and we do quite a lot of the time. And I think it's quite important to be honest about that because I think people don't feel they can talk about it because it's that's, you know, supposedly a real sign that your relationship isn't, isn't going well or isn't connected or, you know, you've fallen out of love because you don't want to share a bed and, you know, share your sexy bedtime every, every night, you know. Um, so, but the way we do it when we do sleep together in the same bed which is particularly when we go away on holiday somewhere or you know maybe at weekends when my girlfriend isn't getting up at crazy o'clock mm. um you know then that feels like more of a kind of sexy and nice occasion and you know we will have a cuddle and you know rather than just immediately need to go to sleep so i think it you know, personally, I think sleeping apart some of the week, some of the time is really, really healthy. <laughs> I know we touched on it earlier, uh, but writing a book during a pandemic, you've obviously found it pretty easy. How easy was it? Did you get stuck at any point or did you know kind of possibly because of the podcast, this is where I'm going with this? More or less, but it's amazing how any book does start to differ from the original proposal that you've set out. I mean, when you get a non-fiction book published, you start off 
uh, by getting an agent and getting a publisher by writing quite a detailed non-fiction proposal, maybe 20 or 30 pages with a sample of about maybe 5,000 words and chapter summaries and a bit about you and where the book is going and, and how you see it fitting into the marketplace and all of it. It's pretty hard work, so you're <laughs> pretty keen to get going on it once once you've done all of that. Um, so... But it is interesting how I thought I'd crammed so much information into that proposal. But then actually you realise you just need so much more to fill a 70,000 word book. Actually, you need to find more stories. You need to find more science. You need to interview more experts. I needed to think of more stories from my from my own past. Um, so, yeah, there were days, of course, when it seemed like hard going. And I think I worked quite hard with the structure because I had this idea about having a sort of uh, butterfly-esque um, uh, structure to the book where the first half is written backwards, going back from me and girlfriend in our current state in the relationship, living together and, mm. and all of that, uh, going back right to the beginning. And then the second half of the book tells the story forwards from first meeting to um, the present time and I wanted to do that to sort of look at two periods of time through slightly different lenses and how we can maybe take what we learn from looking backwards and apply that to looking forwards maybe more optimistically but also kind of the excitement of how you know when you tell a story backwards you're going back towards the exciting heady beginnings of it um, and to sort of play with this idea that all endings are also beginnings because the end of a relationship is also the beginning of being single and it could be a really exciting new beginning. So that was another way of me reinforcing that slightly optimistic note and sort of trying to give some kind of sense of the, the cyclical nature of time and, and how beginnings and endings are so interlinked and interconnected. So that, that structure was hard to get absolutely right and make it understandable for people. Um, but it was something that I wanted to play with rather than make it a very, very basic kind of linear timeline through a memoir with bits of science and stories added in even though I suppose that in itself already sounds complicated <laughs> but I no, love but I want to say as a reader it's not it's actually perfectly for me balanced because you can read books like this and it's all kind of memoir-esque you dot the science in places actually you, you breadcrumb them it's almost like you are breadcrumb <laughs> you're sprinkling them and then they'll you'll go off somewhere else or you'll go on to someone else's story I, I do think it's and I'm not just saying this it's a perfect balance as a reader for me where it just keeps you hooked you know if it was all science throughout it all obviously it would get probably quite tedious uh, <laughs> in the same sense unless you're obviously a psychologist but in the yeah. same sense that if it was all kind of personal stories of breakups or whatever it's the same I actually think the balance of it is is perfect I'm loving it I'm halfway through I, I'm not going to do that thing where you know you can always tell when people haven't read the whole thing and they're pretending but I'm halfway through but I am actually genuinely looking forward because I, I read at night so I pick it up oh, I'll read yeah. a couple of chapters and you know what I love as well this, yeah. this is probably a novice reader for you but 
Um, I like that it is bro- broken up kind of into smaller, <laughs> smaller <laughs> chunks. I know that sounds, odd, but I do because it's like, oh, this yeah. is the chunk, and then you go on to the next one, and it all fits in together. I love it. Yeah, I like short chapters, so that was very deliberate. My first book has really short chapters as well um, because I can often, even though I, I do enjoy reading, but sometimes I'm reading a book that has you know, hardly any chapters and they're really long and you're just kind of looking through going, oh, God, I, you know, I want to go to sleep now because I it's, often yes. read in bed as well. And you're like, but this chapter doesn't finish forever and you, oh, no. you're not sure what's a good place to, <laughs> you, start you know, looking, to pause. You start looking, don't you? You start kind yeah, of flicking through, waiting for the next chapter. You're like, oh, God, it's 17 pages away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. So, yeah, it was a deliberate thing to have those short chapters and bless you, thank you for saying that it's a... A nice balance. I, I hope so. And I really wanted to, yeah, make the science part of it really, really accessible because it is embedded in this personal story. It's and it's light. It's light-hearted. It's 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 like it's not pompous either. You know, it's kind of it more like, oh, did you know? By the way, this is an interesting fact, as opposed to, well, I think you'll find that blah, 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 blah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and that's what I love about it. It's just an easy, it's an easy read. And I guess as a writer and as a reader, that's all you want, really. It's just easy to read. And it's, it is accessible. I mean, like I said, I have no experience of lesbian relationships. Um, I have no experience of heterosexual relationships um but it is so accessible i think for anyone whether you're gay straight or bi or whatever or even if you've just never had a relationship you know if i'd got this book a couple of years ago it might have kind of made um you know kind of acted as a little bit of a um what's the word given me foresight into what you Mm. could potentially expect and um oh yeah forewarned (laughs) yeah but I don't want people listening to this to think it's just about breakups it's you know because it's not really is it at all no it's about it you know the main story is about mine with girlfriend and about how we navigate actually staying together and being largely really happy together and how we've both learned from our previous relationships when we weren't getting what we needed out of a relationship and how we've learned to ask for that better and how to communicate better so it's really a positive story because we're we're now engaged to be married next year so <laughs> oh congrats ah. that i mean yes it's the unofficial happy ending of the book because that happened just slightly after i'd finished writing but i've been writing quite a few articles about you know how i feel about being able to get married now because of course as a gay woman um I wouldn't have been able to until recent years. Um, so many years ago when I was a student, I was sort of campaigning for for same-sex marriage, for equal marriage, thinking that it was but pure science fiction. Um, you mentioned girlfriend there, and obviously she is a running theme throughout the book. Um, what Did you have to check with her presumably before you, it, this went to publishing or did w- was it a kind of you wrote the book and said read this let me know what you think or was it kind of did she have any say of what goes in what goes out or what stays in rather yeah I mean we um we did sort of talk about some things that that wouldn't ever go in <laughs> yeah <laughs> And they You've are got to keep oh, no. some things close to you. They're available in the paperback. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. So 
you know, but it is it is tricky because there were certainly some things that we've had quite, you know, I wouldn't exactly say heated debates about, but we've definitely had to talk about. Um, and yeah, there's probably one or two things that she would perhaps rather had, had not gone in. But, you know, we did talk them through and I suppose I felt that it's important to try and be honest about relationships and, and how they work and try and present this complete picture of a relationship, particularly being two gay women. And, you know, if there are, I don't know, young younger gay women who read my book or read some of the articles that I've written and kind of feel that they have some kind of insight about about queer female relationships and and I mean anybody about relationships more broadly but I think particularly um, about lesbian relationships and the particular challenges that we face of homophobia and sexism and sort of navigating structures like like marriage or thinking about you know getting to your 40s and not having become a mother um, and sort of navigating these these sort of cultural milestones as as women and how being not straight has has you know informed those and shaped our lives and how to sort of navigate that and think about that so I think it was important to to try and present quite an honest and complete picture of a relationship but also of course being respectful and running things by people um and not not wanting to expose anything that was too uh, too personal or vulnerable for I, I guess as as well as a comedian um you already know th- that kind of process because uh, you know you talk <laughs> on stage about things and we often talk candidly on stage in front of a live audience when we're allowed them um <laughs> about things so I, I suppose it's it's just applying that to to print form yeah but, but I guess the di- the difference is on stage you've said it and it's usually not recorded or uh there forever but in print it's there um sarah pascoe says my favorite way to learn is when a funny clever honest person is teaching me and that's why i love rosie Wilby. rosie i i'm genuinely really enjoying this book totally loving it and i can't wait to to finish it what is the one thing that you want people to take from this book well i think you said it earlier just the the sense that you're not alone if you are going through a breakup or indeed if you're in a relationship and finding it tough or challenging at the moment particularly when we've been through all these lockdowns and we've been spending really really intense times with our partners and spending way more time with them than than is really normal so you know you're you're definitely not alone if you feel that relationships are really challenging and haven't always fitted you that well and maybe your relationships don't match up to the narratives that we see or hear about in the love songs and movies um (laughs) you know human relationships are really complicated because human beings are really complicated so really don't feel alone do um you know look for the stories that are about real day-to-day relationships and how they work and you will kind of feel like oh okay (laughs) it's not just me who thinks this or feels this or struggles with this or or feels that this is really challenging um definitely don't don't feel that you're alone rosie thank you so much for coming on the breakup monologues the unexpected joy of heartbreak is out now honest funny 
life affirming and just uh, just a, a great book i honestly wish you the best of luck for it you you deserve it and oh. and god knows you've done a lot of, of research you are truly <laughs> the queen of breakups oh, well thank you so much and obviously if people also want to check out the podcast the breakup monologues and we will be recording some live shows yeah, around so, at festivals so, this yeah summer okay too. so that's exciting so so when when's that happening obviously the time of recording right now is june 2021 so you must be gearing up soon soon for that right yeah um there's uh yeah i'm gonna be at cambridge comedy festival and prima donna festival in july but the big shows that i really want to tell people to look out for is um august the 7th there's going to be a live breakup monologues podcast recording at underbelly festival in cavendish square in london at five o'clock it's a saturday and yeah we're just about to announce a couple of exciting guests for that before too long amazing okay well um people can follow you on twitter at rosie Wilby, if that's correct and also you're on instagram yep. as well breakup monologues on that's right uh, instagram um Thank you so much, Rosie. Like I said, uh, best of luck with the book. It's it's great, and I can't I can't wait to finish. It. I'm going to be texting you, being like, "I love this part. I love that part." Um, uh, <laughs> oh, it's you so, it's so much cute. There's a, there's a friend of mine actually who she was um, doing exactly what you said earlier about pretending to have read it, and she said, "Oh, I really like that bit," and she uh, quoted something that happened on the first page. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really, I really like that bit where you say, um, "I was dumped by email." All oh, right, the first line. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much again, Rosie. A best of luck for the the podcast as well, and good luck with the um, the live shows. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you, my love. <laughs>